You know you're a woman in surveying when even your kids ask you if a property is not traditional and can identify Japanese knotweed. You're not alone, my friend. Welcome to the Surveyor Hub with me, Marion Ellis. So welcome to the podcast today, Becky and Michaela. Hello. 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 Now we've been having a good old 15 minute chat before I've even got started. <laughs> so uh, I'm really looking forward to speaking to you. Let's have a couple of uh, quick intros. Tell us, you know, what flavour of surveyor you are, where you work, that kind of thing. Let's start with Becky. Okay. Hi, I'm Becky Jenkins and I work with Sussex Surveyors. We're based in Hove with branches in Eastbourne and Haywards Heath and extending towards Chichester. Primarily, I work with party wall matters, specification writings of residential buildings and a a little bit of defect analysis in between all of that and all the other bits and bobs we get involved in. And Michaela? So uh, my name's Michaela Perry Kay. I'm a chartered building surveyor. I've been at it for 25 years, predominantly in the commercial sector. My style of surveying is pretty much a bit bit more like forensic approach. I tend to turn up to a building suspecting there's a defect I've got to find. So I tend to sort of have a bit of a suspicious nature. I do love gathering information and sitting back and evaluating it when I get back to the desk. So it's a bit more of an overview type of surveyor rather than immediate sort of give a decision. I'm happiest most probably when I've got a buff over my hair and a head torch on and I'm wearing my Dickies workwear. That's my favourite. But I do quite like to put on the old uh, the lady act and sort of step into meetings as nice, smart and dressed. Definitely not a style over substance girl, which I'm, you know, I do like a bit of gritty behind the science that we do. Yeah. And I, I tend to sort of build relationships with people rather than free lunches, if you understand what, I, what I'm getting mm, at there. Mm. So um, but I've just recently actually given up uh, a co-owned business and moved into the public sector oh, after wow. 12 years. So that's insightful already after only a short few months. But the um, the crux of it as well behind all of it is that I am actually a mum with 17 years experience. So in all of that, quite a few hats I've worn, really. Oh, I've got so many questions I can ask you there. It's interesting you talk about style over substance. And I know, Becky, you've got a fab little Instagram account that I um, pour over every now and again because you, <laughs> you, you post some really interesting pe- pictures. I don't get much interesting stuff really um now I do more of the uh, the coach and um, business side but I think there's something there about owning what you do as a or what you do as a surveyor but as a woman mm-hmm. you know and I think your Instagram account's called is it the lady surveyor yes that's right a little bit tongue-in-cheek really based on you know you sort of go out on site as a woman and they go oh you're the lady surveyor yeah. and you kind of yeah. go yeah I, I tend I tend to <laughs> Well, to be honest, I tend to respond with, you know, I much prefer the pretty face rather than, you know, the lady. We all know doing sort of the jobs we do, it's it's not very ladylike, is it? So um, it's a balance. You, know, you get crawling around. They, you know, I turn up on site and I tend to wear sort of jeans and a polo shirt. And I think sometimes they expect me to turn up in heels, heels. and a short skirt and, you know. <laughs> Don't, two don't really go together very well, do yeah, they? Yeah, it's a real, um, it's a real balance, isn't it? Of using your womanly, is it womanly wares, wiles? You know, using your assets. Let's say uh, I call it the feline way. <laughs> feline way, yeah, use, yeah using yeah. that, but then yeah. not being seen as well because you're a woman. 
you know, that's how you're getting ahead. And sometimes you're just damned if you do and, and damned if you don't. But it's interesting because one of the things that always comes up in the Women in Surveying Facebook group, we do have a Women in Surveying LinkedIn group, which is just like crickets because nobody posts anything because everybody knows everybody else. Everybody is. But in the Facebook group, one of the things that always comes up is what to wear um, in terms of practical PPE that fits, let's face it. You know, but then feeling empowered. And we, we talk about, you know, power dressing, you know, back in the 80s with the old shoulder pads. But you want to feel and look confidence and competence in your work. And I know there's there's a big thing at the moment sort of post-COVID is, you know, is everybody going to wear suits going back into the office and, mm. and things like that? But it's about being feeling comfortable in your skin, you know, and being able to handle the situation you're in and not having to faff about the clothes that you're wearing. And I work from home now and, uh, you know, I, I'm wearing a little shirt today for once, but I have to make an effort to get into the zone, you know, of not being the mum running around, et cetera. Um, but it can make quite a sort of difference, you know. I, I tend to have sort of put it like yesterday I had a meeting in the office and I dressed for the occasion. So, you know, it's it depends what you faced with that day. And I, I, I actually, somebody passed comment on it. And, you know, you just think to yourself, well, actually, do you know what? You don't get, I shouldn't akin it to this, but you don't get dressed up for war, yeah. not wearing the right paraphernalia. So that's, you know, that's that that's the way I approach it, really. I think so. it is a really tricky line to tread, isn't it? Because you do, you do want to look like you're going to work and you're going into people's homes, you're going into their personal spaces and, and you want to be respectful of that. But, you know, sometimes I turn up in my dark coloured jeans still, but still jeans and sort of chunky safety boots and you know I always say you know do you want me to take my boots off before I come in etc but I am aware of the fact that you're going into people's homes and you don't necessarily look like you're turning up to work as it were but our work is so different to what you know it varies so much day to day that Mm. you almost need different wardrobes for different elements of that job and I remember a few years back just as I my first surveying job that I went into and I had the interview and I was you know they put at the end of my welcome to the company letter and said you know got any questions you know get in touch and a few weeks before starting I suddenly thought I actually have no idea what they're expecting me to wear because I know I'm going to be in the office but I also know I'm going to be going out and about to different places and do they want me wearing a suit in the office which was the environment that I had come from previously and when they emailed back and said oh just wear you know smartish jeans and a smartish top etc and I was like what what is that (laughs) I've just had my I just had an employment contract come through and I read it and it said your attire is smart in the off you know in the office yeah and because I'll go to site in the morning and come into the office in the afternoon I actually phoned the HR department said are you expecting me to have in my boot a set of smart trousers blouse before I turn up in the office but you know like it or not they're they're, they're contracts that are written you know in in that respect but I think you know you have to gain confidence in your consumer whether it's domestic whether it's commercial and like it or not you know we can all turn up as you know dressed as as you know we may want but you've got to give the right impression haven't you you have and yeah I mean there's you yeah there's so many examples of um uh, of that but a couple of things come to mind when we talk about smart casual I don't know if you ever remember a clip with uh, Alan Partridge and his uh, action slacks. <laughs> Maybe it was just me, but I'll put a link to it in the, in the show notes. But the other thing that, that comes to mind, a couple of years ago when I did the Women in Surveying Virtual Summit, 
which is where I interviewed a number of women on video and just talked about you know careers and life and and things but I did record one on what to wear and had my friend uh, Helen Reynolds who's a stylist and she came on as well so I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well but the other thing that then comes to mind is there's a really great TED talk by a lady called Amy Cuddy can't remember the name of it now but she talks about it's sort of the power of body language so I mean, it doesn't matter what you wear, it's part of body language. Mm. And I remember the first time I had to give a presentation to, I think, six, 700 people at a conference. And no one gave me any tips on how to do that. <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, Marion, you go up on stage. And I'm like, what? So beforehand, you know, uh, yes, I prepared what I was going to talk about. I got stats and figures and did the slides but I I also hired a woman who helps you with being confident on stage you know and how to project your voice and body language and she told me about this TED talk and so when it came to doing this this conference I always remember it because my um my colleague Andy was up uh, just after me I think and we were at the back of this conference room and and he was sat there with his head in his hands worried sick and I was stood up hands on hips you know, head up, walking around, doing my uh, Wonder Woman pose to get power pose, power pose. That's it. And I was going, get all of these noises. I remember our boss at the time turning around, just like, what the? <laughs> you know, I went up and, um, and nailed it. But body language does make a massive, uh, massive difference to it. So I remember that. And it's not putting your boobs out or anything. It's just, you know, sitting up and, and owning the room and, I think there is a lot to that, especially as a woman, because I think I'm conscious of the fact that often I'm going into, whether we like it or not, it's still quite male dominated spaces and you do need to take up space and not be apologetic for it. And I find that there are times, you know, I remember one occasion when I was on site with a colleague of mine and I was trying to speak to the contractor who was there I stood there, I was just part of the kind of, you know, have a bit of banter to start with, a bit of the bit of chit-chat. And then I tried to say something and he would ju- he just would not even acknowledge the fact that I'd spoken. And you sort of think, how do I I feel like I need to make myself bigger because I, I think yeah, you all I might you. I mean if I mean after I mean forgive I mean there's obviously an age difference between us and it's not to, you know, but you actually almost have to accept it's there air issue not yours and if it becomes very marked that they are ignoring you then you're well within your right to actually say are we okay is there an issue is there a problem can you know and air it in front of everybody the problem I think sometimes what we do is we sort of brush it under the carpet we go home and it's quite interesting actually and I say this actually contradicting an event that happened to myself where the higher I've got up the ladder, the more challenging you've become in meetings because you're experiencing. Mm. And that's where I've seen the glass ceiling. It was never in my early part of my career. It was very engaging, very encouraging. And I remember sitting in this meeting, this bloke, and I'd made no apology. I've never apologised for being a parent. And, uh, you know, I'm a single mom as well. And I literally sat in this meeting and said, I've got to wrap it up, guys. Do you mind if I leave? Five o'clock, I've got to get home to the kids. You know, everyone pretty much in the room was accepting of it. The meeting went south, it went sour, it went bad. And because I was there in a monitoring capacity, the receiving party didn't like what, you know, they they were being attacked with. And the response from this gentleman was to end the meeting because I had to get home to my latchkey kids. Would he have said that to any of the other men in that meeting? And that night I went home and I cried 
and I, I didn't challenge him. And I swore from that day that I would never allow myself to be put in that position or my children. And I know that's, you know, flying, but that's the attack that you get because, you know, it's the only way. Because we're very, I think us women, we tend to sort of go in with attackers quite, um, well, I do anyway, in a, a very objective driven and target driven manner. It's not personal. It's not, you know, it's very business focused. But I think it can be a little bit like the defence can be blokes almost act a bit more what girls are expected to act like rather than, you know, so they tend to be a bit more girl-like in their responses. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, the dynamics, isn't it? And, and every every situation is different and some, you know, business and office cultures and meeting cultures will be, will be different. But you do walk in with your own bag of worries if you like with you know how will I be perceived do I feel confident enough can I get a word in here when you do get a word in you're seen as aggressive and all the you know the the stuff we get that gets thrown at us and yet on the other side of the fence you know for the other people in the room you know men or women you know how are they looking at this person walking into the room the body language Mm. what they're saying the tone of voice you know are they got their mind on on something else so it's really interesting the the, the, the dynamics that, that can that can go on. But I think you're right about hard boundaries. And I think one of the things that women in particular need to do is the personal development. You know, starting personal development work early on in your career. So you get a much better sense of self. Yeah. Yeah. And who you are and what's important to you and what Definitely. your non-negotiables are. I mean I've got I've got two kids and I'm um 12 and six, but you know, when I think about, you know, my, my first child, I went back to work. I practically ran because I thought of having this child and looking after it. You know, I was terrified. But with my daughter, it was it was harder. You know, she was um, breastfed because she had a, she had an egg allergy and refused a bottle. They moved my job to a different part of the country and I commuted with a breast pump. And I did things that looking back now, I just think. You wonder how you did. did. Yeah, yeah. But equally, I wanted to prove. I wanted to prove the point. Prove it to myself. Yeah. But I didn't have the boundaries or the confidence in myself to say no, or even to say yes. And once I did that work, and you know, there are, you know, I I work with them and I coach with them. But Lionheart have lots of free resources, and I've done some work with them that that people can access. But just starting to do that work makes such a difference, and it doesn't just help you with the whole work life balance integration thing. It can really help you with your work because what it's doing is it's helping you hone in your instinct and knowing when to trust your gut instincts. I think and that's, that's an, can I, sorry yeah. to interject. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I'm 45 now and I can hand on heart say it was around about my mid thirties that I started to acquire a sense of self. And it was my own personal life experiences that started to encourage those boundaries. Then you start to look at your work life and you realise actually that's where it's applied Mm. most. And I can honestly say this last chapter has been the one where, you know, I've enjoyed the most. And, you know, like yourself, Marion, is that I actually got made redundant on maternity leave and became an accidental businesswoman in setting up my business with a baby at six months of age. And I remember turning up at these business link seminars that were put on by the Chamber of Commerce locally. And not one person had, I was the only person there without a business plan. And my business plan literally was lost job, got mortgage, have baby to feed, must work. And and, and that was my business plan. And it worked. 
and to be fair coming back to sort of the point in hand is the fact that you know you've got to acquire a sense of self and with us women and I learned it when I when I learned to ride my motorbike you don't tell people because you can't your face is behind a helmet you've got to show them you know there's no better way of you know letting people form their opinion by showing them what you can do if they don't want to hear and they don't want to listen they're not going to learn Mm. but when they see what you can do then you become accepted then you become I think the the key to it though is to be your authentic self absolutely sounds like some you know no absolutely quote or whatever but it's doing it your own way yeah tell you what it's exhausting yeah walking into an office wearing heels when you just want to wear a pair of trainers (laughs) I do not miss heels (laughs) no I don't yeah you know I I think you're right though about the age thing as well that I think that and I don't think it's just a a woman thing I think it's a a people thing that Mm. we're there's so much pressure to know who you are so young and you know from through school when you make choices about GCSEs what you choose will depend on what you want to do at A level and that will depend what you want to do at university if you want to go to university that will depend on what your career choice is and you know you're making quite big decisions at a point when you have no idea you can't possibly know who you are at that age and I think you spend your 20s panicking that you're lagging behind everybody else because you don't really have a clue what's going on and you're just kind of you know you fake it till you make it kind of thing and then I think you do you get into your 30s and you start hitting your stride and kind of going oh actually you know a number of the things that I thought about myself I can now own more fully or I can discard them and accept Ah. things so Becky what you're describing is you've become more intuitive Mm. Do you think you've become more intuitive with the experience you've now got? I think so, but I also th- I'm not even sh- I'm not sure it's that I've become more intuitive. I think that I've always been naturally an intuitive person, but I think maybe I've not had the confidence to own that intuition and run with it. And I think yes. that so I've got ex- my background is all in residential lettings. We used to I used to run a lettings business in Worthing. And, you know, you're working with a number of people. We had three branches. And I think I was working, my dad had started the business and I was working alongside him. The idea was that I would be coming up to work while I was a director with him. And the idea was that he would be retiring, I'd be taking over. And I think I was really bound. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I needed the business to do. and And I knew how to make it happen. But I think I felt bound by a number of shackles like, being the boss's daughter, being not a woman, but being a girl and the assumptions that other people made about me. And I think that my effort to try and make myself heard did come out as aggressive and a little bit short at times. But I think that that was born of an insecurity of me not knowing how to make myself heard. So I think it came across that that way because that is how, that is it. I was aggressive. And actually now... I can say, I know this, I know how to communicate, and I have confidence in what I've got to say, and I believe that my voice is just as valid as anybody else's here. I may be less experienced, I may be younger, whatever. Either way, I have a a position. Go on, sorry. (laughs) Can I big you up there? You've come across very clear, you know, you're very, again, objective, you know what you're going for. And you're obviously able to drive results from that. 
So that actually is a very big win for any potential would-be employer and or should you choose to set up your, your own business. You know, time is money. You ain't got time to be, you know, fluffing around in between. No, absolutely. Yeah, I think we get to a point, and what I'm hearing from both of you and I've experienced myself, is that you get to a point of maturity. Yeah. You know, we, and, and I often think that being surveyors, you do need a, a good level of maturity because you walk into people's homes in their lives and you see all sorts and you can't unsee it. And we need to process that, you know, and mm. and some of the best surveyors that I've worked with or come across have actually done something else in their life. And it's a second career or they've yeah. changed career somewhere or they've got that life experience behind them. And it's that that maturity that I think makes a difference. I'm really interested in the the kind of work that you do. So tell me a bit about you know some of the projects or some of the kind of work that you're you're doing at the moment. Maybe Michaela. Well, I, I've just took on a new role with Warwickshire Police as their building surveyor. It's the smallest authority in the UK, but nonetheless has got actually a really lovely portfolio of property. Their headquarters is a listed building uh, in Warwickshire. Absolutely stunning. And they have typically as a public sector had an estate management to with a view to selling off the property have you turned on that so there's deferred maintenance that's gone on for the last sort of five years so suddenly now there's a, a desire to invest and put the property back into good repair so this is what's going to keep me busy but the, the actual estate itself is very varied from custody suites to police stations to small sort of country locations within the Warwickshire area so from a portfolio point of view it's it's, it's quite varied but the, that's one of my main projects at the moment my history behind that is having run my own businesses that I pretty much did every you know facet of building span from party wall I really love due diligence love it so when it comes to doing sort of I worked for a capital financer and got flown all over Europe doing various large commercial properties one of my favorite moments was actually sitting on the rooftop of um, Finnair's uh, air hangar in uh, in housing literally watching a plane land in front of me on the runway wow. that was a bit of a Gosh. Wayne's World moment that was fantastic yeah. but I mean you know that I have to say I mean it, you know it's spread across everything but at the minute the focus is I love heritage I love I've never had the opportunity mm. to really be rev, you know going it because running my own business has been commercial sector so it's been very much you know different types of leisure education you know across the board but this one, actually, I'm really quite passionate about. I feel like, actually, I can't wait to get into it. A lot of them look, looked at me as if I was crazy, that, you know, I wouldn't be put off or overfaced by it. But I'm like, bring it on. No, I really want to get my teeth into it. So, so that's my project at the moment. And I've just actually built up a, a relationship with Warwick Castle, who have been over the many, many years doing what I'm about to embark on. So we've got a lovely relationship there that started so that you know I've got a little bit of somebody holding my hand you know guiding and these are things that you reach out to and I think again being a woman you know I think actually it really is a facet of being able to talk and communicate you know go back to that whole thing what you were just saying is that you know when you look at CEOs and the successes I know I'm going off road here Marion sorry but you know these conversations are about where, where you get like CEOs and you look at board and, and often you read time and time again, is like the ability to sort of diffuse a situation or 
bring it back down or you know approach or you're not a threat or people don't see an agenda they see you know oh a nice individual that's able to sort of talk and actually avoid that escalation in the first place I find quite often actually you know I've gone into situations where there was a situation last year where one of my colleagues didn't get on with the tenant of a property where the landlord had asked us to prepare a specification I was a bit nervous because I was told right he's aggressive he is physically confrontational he has mental health issues he's not going to be pleasant but we need you to go in because we know that you can go in and deal with this and I was like first of all is this a safe environment for me to be going in on my own has that even been a consideration and they sort of went oh well you know keep your phone on you and if there's a problem let us know and and I turned up the guy was standing out on the doorstep and I just said oh hi I'm here just come along to do that and he went oh yeah well here's a letter for you I've listed everything that I want I know that there was a problem with this but I want you to know da 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 and I went yeah okay I'll take that on board that's great anything else and he kind of went no that's fine and you sort of go well that's it done yeah from that point on he was absolutely fine and I do think that that is a particular skill that we have as women is to diffuse those situations before they escalate into being a confrontation Why do you think we have those as women? Because there'll be men listening to this thinking we've got some kind of secret sauce or gene. (laughs) I mean, can I stress, I I am not anti-men one bit, you know, I really am not, you know, and I absolutely love those professionals that big us up and, you know, appreciate, you know, it is a little bit harder that, you know, we are a small minority, but I just don't think because we're not, think about it in an animal kingdom kind of way, you know, you've got a lion, you've got a lioness. Which one do you think is going to less likely eat your head? The lioness, because it's the lion who's got the bigger head. So, you know, straight off, it's it's that kind of analogy, I think, because we approach with a much smaller, lesser, There's quite a lot of research, actually, on women being wired to tend and befriend, you know, mm. and if you think about the way that we're often the nurturer in terms of children or pets or or whatever mm. you know we, we tend to have that that gene and you you do come across a lot of women actually who then go into training and assessing and and mentoring and that kind of thing what I've been really encouraged by over the past year is coming across more women who run their own businesses or aspire to, or like you two, you know, both been in, involved in in some way, shape, or form, and that's been a really eye opener for me. Mm. You know, I'm I'm in lots of networks, you know, as a small business owner where there's no surveyors. But then, as we've had a lot more engagement in the Women in Surveying Facebook group over the last year, there's been a few small business owners, and I think that's amazing. Well, I, mm. I I'm an I'm an advocate. I absolutely any woman, and I put this out on the podcast. Any woman that wants to set up her own business because when we and this particularly where you're the nurturing you're the mothership you have a job that's nine to five and I always explain it is that the awakening hours of a child in their early years is normally within that so often we come through the door at six o'clock of an evening and you've got the tired ratty child that needs it you know to be fed and put to sleep when you work for yourself and having done it myself for many years is I used to choose to get up at five o'clock in the morning work till 7 a.m get the kids up, have breakfast, engage with them, walk them into school. Then I'd work again for a few hours. They'd come home. The problem I've got now is 17-year-old goes to bed after me. So, <laughs> you know, it's a very different era for me. But I'm absolute, you know, it's the way to be able to compartmentalise your day and fulfil the functions 
that we do have. And, you know, I think being your own business owner where you've got kids or not kids, it's quite an undertaking. You know, it, it really is. So, you know, any woman who particularly within our you know profession, get in contact you know yeah. I know yeah. this yourself yeah. Marion anyway that does you know but absolute you know I, I will empower and support as much as I can I've made a lifestyle decision for myself recently which you know is working for me but I also look back and think that was brilliant you know yeah. how it's, uh, and, and, I, mm. and I find that now and you know Covid has changed a lot of things for a lot of people you know for me uh, you know at the start of the year I decided to step down from my role at Blue Box because I, I didn't want to run a small company of that size mm. you know I've rearranged the way that I work I do make sure I do school pickup and, and drop off and, and those things but you know also you know I, I hit menopause and I just can't do what I used to do and you get tired and talk about brain fog remembering a date and a time I put something on, on LinkedIn yesterday and someone messaged me to say Marion it's not November <laughs> isn't it <laughs> And and I think it's it's just being more in in flow with just how I feel and the way the way yeah. that I I want to work. Becky, let me ask you about about your work because you're part of the party wall surveyors, which yeah. always sounds like you're having lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> it should be more fun, shouldn't it? Really, oh, yeah. with the word party in it. But no, it's it's yeah. I do a lot of party wall work, and it's an area of work that actually I did my master's degree in building surveying. But, which I started, I mean, I started my degree back in 2016. So I'm a relative newbie to this whole thing. And I started my first job and they went, right, the Party Wall Act. And I kind of went, the what? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I hadn't heard of it. And it's, um, but actually it's really where we, I think because we deal with a lot of residential properties, um, a lot of our clients are, they come to us for a home buyer survey, building survey, et cetera. And I think that they, we form a good relationship with them and then the natural step or what we hope to sort of nurture as the next natural step is that when they want to do a loft conversion or a rear extension yeah. or yeah. whatever that they will come back to us and that we will handle, handle the part of all matter for them and it's been a real it's been a really interesting dynamic to the work because it's not really surveying as I would have understood it in that I'm not looking for defects. I'm not there to tell them what's wrong with their property. I'm not there. To, I'm not even there to tell them if the design that their architect has done for them is a good one or not. In fact, I'm specifically not allowed to design any part of their project. My role is to facilitate a, the protection of the party wall or the party structure. And I find that a huge part of that, going back to what we were saying earlier about relation, this is being quite a relational business. Actually, so much of that can be managed through relationship. And if you can negotiate that relationship between two neighbours who I often say to when they come to me and they say, oh, it's all right. I get on really well with my neighbours. So, you know, I don't think we need to worry about them. I kind of go, if you get on really well with your neighbours, let's do this properly because that will protect that relationship. And likewise, when they say, oh, my neighbour's going to be a pain because they don't like us, they'll just make it. I go, then let's use the Party Wall Act because that that puts rights in place and they have to respond. There's no mechanism mm-hmm. within it to mess them up. And I find that a large amount of my time that I spend on party wall matters 
is nothing to do with surveying or even the property itself. It's about managing those relationships. And if you can get that those lines of communication open and operating effectively, I find that's about 70% of my job done. And sometimes I quite enjoy the challenge of that. Can, can I ask a question? You know, when you do the party wall instructions, by the time that they've got planning and they've got everything in place, do you tend to find your instruction last minute or oh, yeah. do you, yeah. And, and that just doesn't help the situation at all does it because of the time no, and that is a big problem because they come to us so there are a couple of different scenarios either they come to us those who are sort of being super on it will come to us and say right I've had a design done and I want to start this project next year and I understand that there's a part of wall and I need to get this sorted and you kind of go love the enthusiasm but let's talk about this in a few months time because you're jumping the gun a bit but more often than not you get somebody ring up and go oh, we're doing an extension. We're starting on Monday, but my neighbour yeah. says we need a part of all agreement. And then you say, well, okay, but a party structure notice, for instance, has a two-month notice period. So you can't start on Monday. And they go, well, this is the first. And they come to us and it's almost, we're on the back foot straight off because the nobody, and this is generalising because it's not all architects, not all structural engineers, et cetera, but actually quite often on an A3 scale drawing of their loft conversion or whatever, there's a little tiny bit of text that says elements of work may require a party wall agreement. And you think the client has clearly not been told at any point categorically before you instruct a contractor, you need to be aware that you have this statutory obligation. So they come to us already a bit angry with us because we're holding them up, especially when we tell them that we can't do it over the weekend. And when then their neighbours have quite valid concerns about what they're proposing to do to the party wall, you're already into a situation where tensions are high, there's a lot of money at stake. And it's not a party. <laughs> I, I, I my my favourite ones, and I think part, I akin to being a surveyor is a problem solver, and yeah. that is exactly what a party wall surveyor is. And go back to what you were saying, just is that although all that knowledge that you have on design and everything actually underpins your ability to understand the consequences of you know what's going to happen in constructing. Now, ironically, some of my best instructions have come from that phone call of somebody who is in distress because their neighbour can put an injunction against them and stop. Now, often I go out to these sites and it starts with the architect, it starts with the engineer, it starts with the local authority that gives the approvals. And when I get in front of the builder, because often I have to go out and, and, and in the past I've met Mr. Builder and I've gone, how do you not know about the party wall? How are mm. you putting that spade in that ground and imagining that you can just carry on without assisting these people? And then there's this line of, well, it's not me to tell them. It's not me to tell them. And it goes back up the line. Well, I'm not even touching the party wall. Digging yeah. a big trench right next to it. That's a whole conversation trying to explain <laughs> the definition of what a party wall oh. So in the end, I ended up actually with one project which was absolutely brilliant. And it led to my appointment to project manage, quality monitor the extension. And it literally started off with this crisis phone call, went out, dealt with the party wall, all sorted. We had a coffee and I just said, look, I don't know what you're doing. Your procurement's mm. all wrong. You're about to spend 150000 And then I've got this appointment to go along. I hadn't intended to take, and that was my start of domestic. Yeah, That was my start of actually getting involved because I could see the problems people were getting into, domestic, uneducated clients 
who just have no idea what statutory compliance is. They've no, no idea. Absolutely. And I find quite often, even I've spoken to a few other surveyors who will even, you know, you say they, you know, say they've started the works without realising that they need to get. And then, and I'll talk to another surveyor and they go, well, how could they not know about the Party Wall Act? And I go, well, they're not a surveyor. They're just somebody who employed an architect. They bought a house, thought it'd be nice to convert the loft. They've employed an architect. The architect's gone, here's your drawings get a contractor nobody at any point has mentioned this obligation to them why should they know like okay maybe they should know but if you're not told something where do you go to find that information reliably and I think that what you were saying about gathering instructions is a lot of the business that I do now whether it's party wall or whether it's you know specification or whatever I find that I have the same people coming back to me because I've gone along and maybe made a couple of comments about something and taken the time to have a chat with them, whereas somebody else might have been a bit more rushed and a bit more, so, you know, we're on the clock, so I don't have time to be nice about this. This is exactly what I wanted from Women in Surveying Conversation, where we talk about the stuff that matters to us in lives, but also just the fact that we know our stuff when it comes to work as well. Well, Yeah, how would, how do people know about the Party Wall Act? But, you know, I come back to something that you said Michaela at the start about being suspicious and, yeah. and I remember I had a like a profile personality type thing done in in my employee job many years ago and I remember it said that I was very cynical Marion is very cynical and I I read it and like burst into tears that meant I was a horrible person which obviously it didn't but my boss you know explained to me that well that's exactly what he needed me to do because I was mm. running complaints and claims and I needed to be suspicious and I needed to be cynical and it was good, but and I'm, and I'm a naturally curious person, but actually it was taking me too far in and I was get, it made me quite stressed that I didn't trust anything. And it comes back to that trust thing, you know. So it's really, really interesting. But, you know, as, as surveyors, we're all curious. And I guess it comes back to the, you know, relationships and asking questions of, OK, I've got this advice from an architect. What else? So what? So what? I've got this. What do else yeah. do I need to do? And asking questions, it's having conversations with people. And one of the best things I learned when I first started out, you know, working on building sites was to just ask questions. And if they think I'm yeah. stupid, then... That's something that I really struggled with early on. And I was really encouraged by my bosses to say, you know, if you don't know, just ask. Nobody is expecting you to know everything all the time. And it took a while for me to actually feel like I could say, actually, I'm sorry, why do you think this is the best course of action or whatever it was? And leap forward a few years, November last year, Thankfully, I passed my APC to become chartered, which was, I know, that that was my lockdown victory. It was, uh, yeah, thank goodness for um, lockdown, actually, because I could really get my head down and get on with it. But, um, you know, actually, I felt that, again, having passed my APC and now being labelled as a chartered building surveyor, is it still okay to ask questions? Is it still okay to not? And, and absolutely. And, well, abs- absolutely. But you yeah. you almost have to kind of reassure yourself at different milestones and say, yeah, it, it is still okay. Because actually, I haven't done that. I haven't had that experience. No. Look, we've got legislation that's continually changing and being updated. Every absolutely, day is a school yeah. day. If you're going to sit on your laurels and think what you learned 10 years ago applies today, well, I'm sorry, but that's a little bit arrogant and quite ignorant. But if you're actually, like you say, a curious brain, then you want to, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, I love due diligence. I always start off asking myself, is this person giving me their opinion 
or is this based on fact? Where has this come from? I dread to think what the psychoanalysis personality trait I have, <laughs> but you know it, it, that's where I start because I've been led down the road so many times based on people's opinions, and then you end up having to go back up it. But you know, you also have to concentrate on the stuff that you love, and I'm glad yeah. you love, you know, doing the due diligence. Some people will yeah. be recoiling in in horror, you know, but we've got to stick with explore with what do we love to do. And and if Analytical. you love, yeah, you know, if you yeah. love to do it, then that's yeah. gonna get you out of bed any morning. But look, ladies, it's been fabulous to talk to you both. I've had a really good conversation. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show today. I really hope you enjoyed it. You can find the show notes and links to any guests and resources we've mentioned today on the website lovesurveying.com and don't forget to show your support by buying me a coffee or you can rate review and follow the podcast on your usual podcast platform it really does make a difference and helps spread the word and reach a wider audience of surveyors who just love what they do see you next time